This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Coming up to three minutes past nine, you're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. <laughs> this is Radio Marinara. My name's I'm about three quarters Bron Burton. And I'm Angeline Charles. How are you, Angeline? I'm good, but you're not. I feel like we need a little snuggly blanket and a hot water bottle for <laughs> oh, you. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, I have this laugh that sounds like Elmo. I've just realised all week I've been thinking, who do I sound like? And it's Elmo. You'll probably hear it at some stage in the next... Um, 57 minutes. So it's a show for the kids as well. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Tim Thorpe, and um, apologies to everyone out there listening. You're going to have to listen to this for the next you make, you make them feel heaps better because they won't have one, potentially. No. And don't worry, there's no way of catching it. Um, through radio? Through radio. Great. I'll, I'll have to put up a barrier, though, between <laughs> yeah. us. Um, yeah, thank you, Tim, very much for Vital Bits. Um, Today's program, Angeline, we are the program about all things wet and salty and we're going to kick off with a whole bunch of news. We are, yep. Going to do an update on the uh, cage diving in South Australia. Uh, Also talk about uh, an event that's a a natural phenomenon, happens once every 10,000 years and it happened fairly recently and it's affecting the coasts of uh, New South Wales, uh, sorry, Australia and New Zealand. It sounds ominous, doesn't it? It does. It's just should very... We, should we be worried? No, per- no. maybe the, the skin on your feet might be worried. Oh, but okay. um, It's not one of those flesh-eating piranha stories, no. is it? No. Okay, <laughs> that's good. And uh, if we've got time, we'll hear about a deep sea port that's allegedly been built without any environmental approvals Ooh. in Northern Territory. So it's a bit of a bit of an ugly story there. And it was meant to be. 
meant to have approvals. Well, yes, you would presume that it would would have had would have required approvals, but I think it's still yet to be determined right. at this stage. So, all right, looking forward to hearing about all of that. Um, then, just after 9.30, actually before 9.30, we're going to be crossing to Geelong to speak with uh, Jason O'Neill, who is a Triple R subscriber. And he contacted us to let us know about a rally that he's organising. It's actually taking place today. And it's um, at the Geelong waterfront against the Super Trawler um, and the Geelong Star in particular. And Jason's coming at it. He um, We had a chat yesterday and he was saying, you look, just, you know, don't ask me about numbers or any of that kind of thing. I'm, I'm really just coming at this from the perspective of someone who is a surfer and a recreational fisher and someone who just kind of wants to have our marine environment protected, preserved and looked after for generations to come and um, just is in in basic principle against the super trawler. So uh, he's just going to come on here for five minutes and really share his views with us and uh, then tell us about a, a rally that he's organised for today not just for Geelong locals, for anyone who wants to head down the coast. Beautiful day. Great day to go and it's do something It's a great like day that. outside. It's yeah. pretty good compared to some of the weather we'd had during the week. So, mm, indeed. Fantastic. Uh, and then we're going to be joined in studio. Second half of the show, we're going to be talking about maritime archaeology and joined in studio by our very own Rex Hunter, um, also known as Peter Taylor, which is his, uh, his, you know, his other name. But alter ego Rex Hunter, as in ship Rex Hunter. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about the world's oldest computer called the Antikythera, which I have to confess I've not heard of before. No, I thought that it's sounds interesting. Something that was discovered in a shipwreck, um, which is the connection oh, wow. there. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And uh, and also, uh, Doctor, I think he's Doctor. We're giving him that title anyway. Enrique Aragon is from Spain, now living in Melbourne. He's a maritime archaeologist as well, and he's going to be talking to us about um, a project that he's coordinating from Melbourne in Spain called, and I've got to get this pronunciation right, Proyecto Vomentera. And it's sort of, from what I've been able to read, I've been trying to read up on it, but of course everything on the interwebs is all in Spanish, so I've just really had to (laughs) pick out bits and pieces of words. Um, Community-based maritime archaeology, so sort of taking the citizen science concept and, and taking it into the world of maritime archaeology. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And did you see this week that while they were searching for that plane that's missing off Western Australia that they found a shipwreck? Oh, really? Yeah, uh, quite deep. I think it was uh, a couple of kilometres deep, but it's it's one that would have been a coal-carrying ship, so all that's sort of left is a bit of timbers, a lot of uh, black dots on the ocean, which they presume are coal, and the anchor, so they've given that footage to archaeologists to try and identify it. I thought that was really interesting that they'd come across this remote kind of unknown shipwreck. Wow. Yeah, it would have been a... A lonely sinking there, yeah. miles off the coast. There's one question I want to ask Enrique about maritime archaeology in Europe, considering how old some of the vessels would be. Have they kind of discovered everything, you know, in, in terms of mm. with real big, really big historical significance? Great. Look yeah. forward to that. Quick weather report. I should have given this to you to do, Angeline. Make sunny. it really brief. It's sunny. It's beautiful. 19. Patchy morning, fog, then a mainly uh, sunny day. Light winds becoming north to northwesterly up to 20 kilometres now in the middle of the day, then becoming light in the early afternoon. Tomorrow, 19. Early fog, then sunny. And then shower or two right through the rest of the week and temperatures back down to the mid-teens. Um, the tide times. 
excuse me while I look for it, Port Phillip Heads, heading for a high tide at about 5 to 11 this morning and then a low tide at about 10 past 4 this afternoon. And uh, the surf forecast, according to Smallnet, looks pretty good. Fun southwesterly swell easing across Victorian beaches. Conditions are clean with offshore winds. Westerly breeze is due after lunch. Water temperature is 16 degrees. And if you want to catch out the local surf uh, forecast, check out Smallnet. Our Dr Surf concurs that they're pretty good, pretty accurate. Actually, Terrific. before we move off today's Sunday Age, a really quick one just to mention. Um, they On the on the front, uh, page two, sorry, there's a little um, regular section called My Place and it's something that they just invite readers to contribute a 250-word piece and photo about their favourite place. The one in today's Sunday Age is by um, Tom Mitchell and it's about 13th Beach. Oh, great. So I thought for people who, um, who love 13th Beach and particularly that part of the world and it's sort of told from his perspective as someone who surfed down there in his teens in the 1970s. It's a really nice little snapshot of what 13th is all about. They're often about coastal places, that section. Funny about that. that. Yeah. My favourite place, it's about a beach. It is. Something coastal. Now, Bronwyn's just going to update everybody about the uh, cage diving industry in South Australia. I remember a few weeks ago I, I had a, talked about how there was a shark, uh, a shark that was killed by an orca. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that was on the 7th of February. Um, and lucky for those people on the boats that got to see that. It would have been amazing. Um, and then sharks weren't seen for 10 weeks. They've returned. They came back on the 13th of April. Uh, in small numbers, though. But during that time, the operators are seeking alternative dive sites um, for when sharks don't come around Neptune Islands. This is obviously sort of given them a bit of a spook. Um, but it, this has also probably spooked the community too because they're quite mm. worried about this additional... They think there's sort of additional diving going on and encouraging sharks to want to eat more people, which I, I still don't understand that sort of thinking because they don't get to eat any people in the cave, so can't see in the cages. So, Oh, the baiting. Yeah, look... Yes and no. I, I, I think probably what's probably worse for surfers is that you look like a seal and float around uh, like a seal. That's probably a greater factor than people baiting somewhere in South Australia. It's an interesting point. And also with surfers who are attacked by sharks, I, I don't know of any correlation with fishing vessels throwing out the burly nearby. Well, sure, that's right. That happens on fishing vessels. Uh, and so they've done some community consultation. They've had about 60 submissions, both locally and interstate, and I think they've got to do some broader consultation. Obviously, this would be a very careful and considered decision based on how emotive this is in the community. So I thought it was really interesting, though, that the, uh, out of this whole story, that it took them 10 weeks yeah. to come back, that they remembered for that long. So You've got to wonder about how much shark blood was still in that water, like even really trace elements, trace amounts of it and how sensitive sharks are even to any kind of blood being in the water if they stayed away because it just took that long for the blood to eventually all dissipate. Yeah, it would be really interesting uh, project if scientists were looking at that to see what was the factor. Yeah. Yeah, so very interesting. Hi, this is Wayne Lynch and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. And we've just been listening to Ruby Boots and uh, something to put in your calendars this Friday. It's um, the launch of this particular album, Solitude. So that was the title track we heard from that. Um, Friday at Howler. Saturday, uh, she's going to be playing at Major Tom's in Kyneton. And Sunday, 24th of May, next Sunday, Western Port Hotel in San Remo. That would be a good gig. Yeah, great. 16 minutes past nine.
Angeline. So, Bron, this thing that's affecting our beaches on the coast. Yeah, so it's not we've, – we've established it's not um, – Flesh-eating piranhas. It's not, no. It's this simple thing that I have here, which for listeners is a piece of pumice. Yeah. And just in the break there, I brought this out and Bron said that you'd been up at Bermagui and... Yeah, uh, we'd have been, I think, September last year. Yep. Uh, I don't know if those dates concur. That concurs. Yes. And um, massive amounts of pumice all washed up on the beach and it was all at the high tide mark and I was walking around going, look at this, look at this, and kind of not getting the reaction I was hoping for out of other people, out of my fellow beach goes, like, oh, yeah, you know, stuff on the beach. Stuff washes up all the time. I'm like, no, but look at the size of this stuff. Mm. I mean, I could tell it was pumice straight away, but it was huge. I'm trying to work out. Like a grapefruit or yeah, something. Yeah, grapefruit and bigger size. Normally, you know, pumice is the sort of stuff, as Nerida was saying. Uh, Nerida's panelling for us today. We're going to get her on the mic one of these days. You can hear Nerida every Saturday night on Live Wire. <laughs> um uh, you buy you buy pumice. You buy it to yep. people. You can buy it in all kinds of different places, but it's a it's a natural exfoliator. People use it to kind of you know, as you were saying, Angeline, dead skin on feet. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, <clears throat> what's happened is um, about in 2012, an undersea volcano exploded. It's about uh, a kilometre below the ocean, and it's um, on the Kermadi Islands. And this volcano is called um, the Have Volcano. And uh, it's in between Tonga and New Zealand, sort of more towards Tonga. And um, when when this volcano erupted, it, it spewed this huge volume of pumice into the ocean. Um, and it was it was so large, in fact, uh, that it was 480 kilometres long by 48 kilometres wide. Wow. To a depth of about 3.5 metres. Wow. That's so a the, lot of pumice. That's a lot of pumice, isn't it? And it's worked out to be about 550,000 kilometres squared, right. that, uh, that area that it covered. Uh, so this is – this apparently this volcano would, would, according to the scientists that are studying it, uh, erupt about once every 10,000 years. And, and it did in 2012. And now, as you have observed, it's starting to wash up on the oceans on the coasts of Australia and New Zealand in very large volumes. Um, but it also is a problem for shipping – uh, which was when I was reading this story, it was news to me. I thought, really? Uh, but it, it's quite abrasive, and it uh, damages hulls, and it gets in the in the propeller and in the water intakes, and um, so it's quite damaging to a ship mm. uh, to be exposed to it. Uh, but it's also um, can be can be a problem for animals because it blocks the sunlight uh, from plankton. Oh right. So makes such a heavy raft that the plankton below can't get any sunlight uh, and isn't able to survive or survive very well and also these rocks can act as fairies for uh, in species oh, that turn into invasive marine pests and and travel around so the amazing the other amazing uh, detail about this story is that scientists weren't actually aware that this happened and it was picked up by a lady who was on an airline so just traveling on a plane between Tonga to New Zealand and she looked out the window and saw this and thought, wow, that's amazing. And took What's some, all that stuff in the water? What's all that stuff and took some photos. And her name was Maggie DeGraw and she's a, a jeweller from New Zealand. So she emailed the photos to uh, Dr Scott Bryan, a senior research fellow at Queensland University of Technology. And after a bit of discussion, they, they just 
decided it was a raft of uh, pumice about a thousand kilometres north of Auckland. And then he contacted uh, the laboratory de Geophysique in Tahiti, mm. obviously a French place, uh, who who um, then got some imagery from NASA, and oh, wow. were, which was ascertained by satellite what it was, and so they were actually it was so large I was actually able to track this by satellite for three months before it dispersed, uh, and and the source of this this story is of course a research paper where they're studying the currents of the ocean uh, based on where this pumice has dispersed to. Uh, so it's like a totally amazing phenomenon. It is. Yeah. I'm, I'm so looking forward to going home <laughs> and saying to my kids, you know those things that you keep referring to, those boring rocks, why are those boring rocks on the mantelpiece? I'll be going, that is from an underwater volcano, so you can stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah. So I won't be saying that to them. Well, not but, quite, um, but I thought this was a really fascinating story that, um, you know, that to get some insight into that little piece of pumice, yeah, as you say, in your bathroom where this came from. Um, and there's 70, sort of 75% of the Earth's volcanoes are undersea, so... And, you know, would erupt, well, if there's that many, there'd be, they'd be erupting all the time, so to speak. So, Can I go back to that figure? Yep. 75% of the world's volcanoes are underwater. Yep, that's I correct. I had no idea. Yeah, so wow. that's a fact out of this uh, paper here. Um, and this volcanologist, Dr Rebecca Carey from the University of Tasmania, she's part of a group of sci- international scientists that are studying this. And uh, I think they're out there at the moment um, having a look around at, at uh, the volcanoes and what's happening in the in the South Pacific there. And so I thought perhaps we should, I would like to contact her and get yeah, onto the show please. to talk more about it because it's such an unusual sort of thing to study. It but, is. Yeah, really fascinating. And just mind-boggling that, you know, whenever you're on the plane, I always look out the window and hope I might see something amazing happen at this point, but that this lady looked out the window and saw it. Wow. Yeah, that's how it all started. And it's led to this discovery. And so much of it has washed up on Australian beaches or the east coast anyway. It has. Even round to Flinders Island, apparently, it's been washing up Tasmania and New Zealand. So Wow. Mm. There you go. There's a business idea for you. <laughs> <laughs> or just grab it, stick it on your mantelpiece. Yeah, fantastic. Under, bit of underwater, underwater volcano for us all. Uh, I've got time maybe for one more. Yeah, so I've got this other story about a uh, deep sea port that was built in the Northern Territory uh, on the Tiwi Islands, which are 80 kilometres off the coast of Darwin, and the port's called Port Melville, and it's been open since, I think, about mid-last year, Uh, and it's built in an area that's listed as internationally significant for wildlife. Right. Is it Ramsar? Uh, I don't think it's Ramsar, but it has... Uh, the, the Northern Territory government said that many species not recorded anywhere else in the Northern Territory or the world are located, located here. That's 38 threatened species of plants and animals. Oh. So it's a really highly significant area, and uh, this this port that was built by a Singapore company uh, has opened up for business. It's a... Uh, it's a store. It's a place to store diesel. So it's an off. It's an onshore kind of docking station for ships. It, it's got tanks large enough to have thirty million liters of diesel right. stored. And uh, and there's been some questions about whether it's received approval under the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Act. That's a Commonwealth Act, and whether it's been assessed under any state laws. Uh, and I think quite embarrassing for the Northern Territory government is that their head minister 
uh, in March this year, Adam Gillies toured the port and commented uh, for about Oscarup and its partnership with the local Tiwi Land Council and developing the industry on the island. I think, you know, for a government to go out to a facility that's potentially been not approved uh, in breach of the law is... Uh, yeah, that's rather embarrassing. Do you think, and obviously, the, well, one would think there was an assumption that on their part that the approvals had all been done. Uh, you should never really assume well, these no. in politics, I think. It can be embarrassing. Um, so the company, if they're found to have breached in federal environment laws, could face a fine up to $8.5 million, which is one thing. But the other thing is that the damage is done now. It's... Yeah. It's too late. So uh, we'll look forward to seeing more about that story. I mean, not a positive one, unfortunately, but... Yeah. Need to hear about it all the same. Well, it's it's like a lot of that coast up in the uh, northwest of Australia is a bit sight unseen, out of yep. sight, out of mind. And now the spotlight turns to the federal government to see what they're going to do about it. Now, that this thing... It's going to be a real test now that thing, this thing has happened and it's it seems to be in breach... Of the it's allegedly EPBC Act in yes. breach. Yes, in breach. So the the federal environment minister Greg Hunt has ordered uh, an investigation to determine if the laws have been breached. Right. Hi, this is Tim Whitten. If you want to know what's going on in the ocean, tune into Radio Marinara on one hundred two point seven three triple R. You know where it is. Yeah, we know where it is. Thanks, Tim. 27 past nine. This is Radio Marinara. We're now crossing to Geelong to speak with Jason O'Neill. And uh, look, we're just going to say good morning to you, Jason. Yeah, good morning. Fun, uh, lovely morning today for a protest. <laughs> <laughs> lovely morning to do anything by the sea. Now, a um, bit of a backstory to this, and for people who've maybe just tuned in in the last 20 minutes or so. Um, you contacted us, you're, you're um, a subscriber to Triple R, and just wanted to contact us to let us know about an event that you've um, pulled together today. I guess tell us a little bit about yourself to start with. How did this all come about? Uh, look, I'm just a regular Joe, just a builder, and um, I've got a bit of a passion for the ocean. I, I like to go fishing, and I love my surfing, and I live in Bowen Head, so my whole family are sort of, you know, beach-orientated, so... As soon as I knew this trawler was coming, I sort of thought, this is just so wrong. You know, I, I couldn't understand what had happened between the Labor government and the new Liberal government and why policy had changed, to be honest. So I figured, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to grow old and look at my children, I want to be able to tell them that something like that didn't happen on my watch. <laughs> and so um, is this a, a feeling that, you know, what, what happened after that? So this is a, some, a thought that you've had and talking to your mates and pe- finding out people are feeling the same way, particularly in your neck of the woods? Yeah, well, basically I walked into my jiu-jitsu academy and I said to the instructor, you know, I'm not happy about this. And he's a bit of a bit of a greenie at heart and a peaceful man, contrary to the jiu-jitsu. People that do jiu-jitsu are pretty peaceful and in touch with the with nature so we had a bit of a discussion and he said it's a great idea you know and I spoke to another friend who's a fisherman and, and he sort of said you know it's a oh, you there oh we're starting to lose you Jason are you there oh we've lost Jason no oh the perils of making a call to a mobile that is it can be a bit unreliable I think what we might do is what will we do? I think we should yeah. recall him back. Yeah. Ken's going to give him a call back. Um, 
Angeline, have you got any more news just while we get try and get Jason back on the line? Well, I haven't got any more news. <laughs> Maybe we can go to a track and come back to him. No? No? We're going to brave it out. Here we are. Did you have any news, Bron? Actually, you know what? I brought one in last week. And um, this is pretty cool. This is an article that was... Uh, it's to do with blue whales. And um, some research that's been done on why we think they can't avoid collisions with ships, Angeline. So what's interesting about this is, um, you know, blue whales, incredibly highly intelligent. and But they, they don't seem to be able to get out of the way of ships. Is it a bit like it, the amount of time it takes for a ship to stop is similar to amount, the amount of time it takes a blue whale to stop? Yeah, or actually less. And so the short answer, this is the first of a kind of a study, that they've never actually learned to steer clear of them. And so because it's the largest animal, animal that's ever lived, the blue whale, more than 100 feet long and 320,000 pounds, the blue whale for 30 million years has never had to move out of anything's way. <laughs> so it has no skills. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so I thought this was a really cool study. What I'm going to do, because I think we've got Jason back on the line, I'll come back and, um, and talk about this yeah, one great. some more because it's, it's actually really fascinating. All right, Jason, I think we've got you back online. Yeah, Brian, I'm here again. Awesome. I don't know what happened don't there. Move. No, don't move. just don't move. We've got a good line now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to go straight to the details um, about your particular um, uh, event today. Uh, so we've got a bit of a backstory to you and, and what this is all about, talking to your jiu-jitsu instructor. There's a lot of people down Geelong who feel sort of like-minded. Um, yeah. Where and when? When are you gathering people well, around well, today? It's, it's, it's on the Geelong waterfront. and I'd like to invite anybody in Melbourne. It's, it's not just the Geelong issue, and Geelong's just down the road from Melbourne, so the ship's, you know, basically in a Melbourne port as well. Um, it's at the carousel on the Geelong waterfront, so... I want it to really be a family event with mums and dads to bring their children and bring your banners and that sort of thing. But it's going to be very peaceful and we've got two local politicians that are going to talk today. So we've certainly attracted some attention with this protest. Great. And uh, who are the politicians putting yeah, you on the Sarah spot? Sarah Henderson yep. and Libby Toker. So she's the... Sarah Henderson's the local Liberal um, politician and Libby's the um, Labor politician. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you've got both sides there. Well, yes, two, two sides, I should say. <laughs> they both really, you know, they both really... Uh, they could see how much uh, the people of Geelong, you know, were passionate about this sort of getting rid of this ship. So I guess they were both eager to jump on board and get a bit of publicity themselves, let's face it. <laughs> yeah, it's great that they're united in this, though, and um, and hopefully that will, you know, be a, an attracting factor for lots of people to come down and, and um, you'll get some mainstream media attention for this as well. So just um, repeating, so this is at the carousel on the Geelong waterfront. It's today. today uh, what, at 12. At yeah. 12 o'clock. Awesome. 12 o'clock, yeah. So if you're listening in Melbourne and you want to get down there, it's a great day to go and spend um, spend the you know, day in Geelong, go down to the rally and then continue to spend the afternoon down Geelong or down the Bellarine Peninsula, even down on the surf coast, go and get a good surf. Apparently the surf's up today. Yeah. Surf is up today. It's offshore. Yeah. Do you want to do a quick surf report while you're there? <laughs> I haven't been down. I haven't been down. So I'd only be, I'd, I'd be guessing. <laughs> yeah. But the, the other thing I'd like to say, Bron, is, you know, this ship's not going to go away just from our protest. When, when the ship arrives in Tasmania, half of Tasmania seems to, to get in their cars and run down to the water to meet it and let it know that it's not welcome there. So we need the people of Melbourne and Geelong to do the same. Yeah, and that's a really good point too. That um, because of protests like that, that that ship is not in Tasmanian waters, and it's now come here. And uh, if you feel strongly about it, then the best way to do to show that uh, you're not feeling happy about it is to go and show your support. And um, today's rally is a really good uh, example of that. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for being in touch with us. 
No worries. And um, can you send us an email and let us know how it all goes today? I absolutely will. I'm planning to have tomorrow off. I'm as nervous as buggery, but um, <laughs> it's all for a good cause. Oh, you'll be so great. Thank you so much for having me on, Bron. I yeah. really appreciate no, it. No, look, it's, it's our pleasure, and thanks so much for getting in touch with us. Um, and stay in touch as well, but um, I'll, I'll have a chat to you during the week. Thank you. We'll certainly give you an update. All right, terrific. Thanks, Jason. Good luck. Thanks, Bron. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye for now. There you go, Jason O'Neill. Yeah, yeah what a great, great, yeah, great effort for, from a citizen. Exactly. Do that. Not associated with any groups, just going, no, nope, not on my watch. Yeah. I'm going to do something about Terrific. this. All right, now, Enrique Aragon is a qualified maritime archaeologist from Spain. He's now living in Melbourne and coordinating a bunch of community maritime archaeology projects in Spain called Proyecto Formentera. I hope I got that pronunciation right. Perfect. It's with great pleasure we welcome Enrique to Triple R and to Radio Marinara to speak with us now about his projects, European maritime archaeology, and what Enrique is doing in Melbourne. Good morning, Enrique. Or I have to say, buenos dias. (laughs) Buenos dias. Good morning. Um, Normally I like to do a bit of homework before I talk to someone on air, but everything I tried to find about your project was in Spanish. I will try to translate. Yeah. <laughs> try to, to uh, use Babelfish a little bit. Uh, Babelfish, <laughs> the online translator, which was quite good. Thought we might start with the basics about you. So you're a maritime uh, archaeologist in Melbourne. How did that happen? How did that come to be? Well, um, well, I I come into Australia just for personal life, um, but yes, I still collaborating with research projects there in Spain. Um, Project from Interest is one of them. So, yeah. <laughs> now, I also need to welcome back to Triple R, Peter Taylor, also known as Rex Hunter, Radio Marinara's maritime archaeologist. Good morning, Rex. Good morning, Bron. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Oh, good, good. I just found uh, Enrique out in the street there. I thought he'd make an interesting <laughs> speaker. <laughs> Now, um, that's not how it came about. So <laughs> when you were last in about a month ago, you mentioned Enrique. And I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's have a chat about maritime archaeology in Spain and also the connection between you two as well. Because um, in a little while, you're going to be talking to us about something altogether different. Oh, it's a secret. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just have to wait. What's, um, maybe let's talk about maritime archaeology in Spain. Is it, how do you become a maritime archaeologist in Spain? Is it a similar process to what you understand about what happens here in Australia? Yeah, well, uh, I have I'm lucky to find people like uh, Peter Taylor to participate in here in maritime archaeology and then make a little bit of comparison what we are doing in there in Spain. But honestly, I find quite interesting the participation of uh, society in our preservation of maritime heritage and in this uh, action uh, people as Peter Taylor is making a good contribution so uh, from Spain we're doing uh, on the same line uh, like here in Australia people try to participate to preserve uh, our maritime cultural heritage and from archaeological people we we try to engage and make that possible so try and bring the community in yeah exactly and is that what this project's all about uh in part yes we try put focus on engage society in a responsible visit 
of shipwrecks, but also in a better understanding how important it is to preserve this kind of heritage. So we are working hard to convince and try to teach people how is the appropriate way to do it. How is, uh, how, is um, how are shipwrecks regulated and protected in Spain? And I don't know if you know about elsewhere in Europe as well. Uh, are there quite tight laws that protect shipwrecks? Yeah, well, in Spain we have our own law around shipwrecks protection, uh, protection, but we have also close linked with UNESCO 2001 convention that is try to regulate all the activities around shipwrecks and maritime cultural heritage. So Formentera project is trying to work around this kind of concept of research, uh, protection and study of uh, all remains um, and stuff. So uh, we are protecting very well uh, our shipwrecks, but there is a lot of to do to <laughs> promoting this kind of actions. Yeah. Um, what, how, do people dive on shipwrecks in Spain? Is that, are they? Yeah, of course there is. Uh, just, just for recreation, yeah, not club not diving yep. around shipwrecks. There is uh, a lot of people, independent people, diving around. So we have to try to to teach. This is a potential damage on shipwrecks. So. Well, our objectives is to try to show how is the best way to to visit a shipwreck, but also how to preserve it, to to keep uh, well preserved for the future. So yeah, and um, you recently gave a talk I saw online with, at the Maritime Archaeology Association of Victoria. Yeah, we show the last results from the campaign fieldwork in 2014, October. So, yeah, we one of the focus is share information, what we are doing, why we doing, um, why we try to keep doing. And uh, tell us a little bit about those results. Well, this what did year, you present? yeah, the result was quite quite good. We found uh, a couple of sites, one from the 18th century, another from Roman age, from third century uh, shipwreck, which is in very good uh, preservation uh, state. And also, we make some research around the island and find some interesting spots to be preserved and, and researched. So, very happy with the result. Mm. What is Formentera? Is that a part of the Spanish coastline or is it a particular shipwreck? Well, Formentera is a little island that is oh. part of the archipelago of the um, uh, Balearic Islands. So, it's part of the Ibiza, Mallorca, and Menor. Islands, and this is a very little island located close to them. And so, there's is there some knowledge about the shipwrecks around this particular island? Um, Was really but uh, known all the information around shipwrecks, but the history, maritime history of the island is very rich. Mm. Uh, We have researched. Uh, a lot of documentation around this island, and there is a frequent uh, piracy around from the old times, uh, and also has an interesting uh, role in civil war and Second World War. So it's very rich history that 
of course, has the remind in the maritime cultural heritage. Yeah, absolutely. How old are some of these shipwrecks? I know you mentioned the uh, Spanish Civil Spanish Civil War. We have reference of uh, because the island was uh, uh, air flight uh, uh, base. Mm-hmm. And was working from the Spanish Civil War until the Second World War, so and we have some reference to crashed uh, accidents uh, in, on the sea. So there is a potential information for future uh, shipwrecks possible. Yeah, and of course all shipwrecks aren't ships. They're yeah, not always uh, shipwrecks are ships. So, but. Uh, at this moment, we know the major richness is in the Roman age because very important role in the trading between Italy, for example, south of France and Spain. But also uh, through the history, there is a key moment where is Formentera participating. Wow, fantastic. How many people do you have participating in this project from the community? Directly, we are participating a a small group of researchers, which is not just archaeologists, there are conservators involved, there is uh, maritime biologists involved, and other professionals. But also there is a lot of um, private uh, sponsorships, um, people participating indirect. So in the result, uh, we have involved uh, people from the island, very welcoming, <laughs> very nice people. Um, now they are starting being engaged with the, their heritage, maritime heritage. So that's a very good experience with people, very nice. Uh, uh, personally, I'm very happy to see how people are uh, starting to be interested in protected. And so you're doing a lot of this work from Melbourne. Are you going backwards and forwards to Spain? Yeah, yeah. I used to go back on the, for example, next October, I have to be there to participate in the next fieldwork. And during the year, we are working very hard to find uh, like institution or foundation or society to be participating with the with the project. Mm. We try to engage other people uh, to make this bigger and bigger and then make the best possible results. Fantastic. Enrique has been fascinating. Peter, how did you and Enrique cross paths? Oh, just, uh, just through diving, maritime archaeology. Uh, Enrique did some uh, volunteer work for Heritage Victoria, and we just crossed paths and just grabbed him. So if we saw him, fantastic. Just, uh, thought he'd be handy for something. <laughs> <laughs> and you've obviously both learned a lot yes. about each other's projects. Yes. Um, what I'm going to do, we're going to put a uh, track on, oh. and, um, and I've got a giveaway to do as well. And then we'll come back and talk a little bit about the work that you've been doing uh, with, uh, and also this uh, fascinating um, Antithicera. Is that, did I pronounce yeah, that kind well, of even half I right? I massacre the Greek language, so you probably have to. <laughs> We're going to go from Spain to Greece. Hi, I'm David Suzuki, and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR 102.7 FM. Rex Hunter. Yes, are I'm we back. Gonna, are we going back to your um, nom de radio, or are we going to call you Peter Taylor? Oh, it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stick with Peter today. <laughs> All right, thanks. What's the Maritime Association of uh, Maritime Archaeology Association of Victoria? What have you guys been up to? Uh, well, actually, we're out in the water yesterday. It's a beautiful day. We're out um, 
in uh, our patron Mel's boat, which is uh, Mel's a, a commercial diver and runs a dive business. So we're out in his boat, 20 metre boat, out doing a side scan survey over the um, Alathiera. That's another Greek word. It is. <laughs> so we finished that, that survey, which is a 500 by 500 metre square survey and just um, mapping the bottom, looking seabed for any um, other bits and pieces of the site. And did you find anything? Uh, there's a couple of lumps and bumps. It's probably bits and pieces that were towed off by uh, scallop dredges in the uh, 1960s and 70s. And, yeah, so we'll, they'll be worth having another look at, I think. Fantastic. And what have you got coming up in the next month? Because then we're going to turn our attention to... I have to keep looking at this word. Antithigera. Um Well, next month we're... I uh, like saying it. <laughs> <laughs> next month we're planning to... Um, what are we planning to do? We've got, we've got big plans. i just got to think what they... <laughs> That's all right. Let's move on to the Antithigera and then we can come back to your plans. Yeah, God. <laughs> so got... blank. That's all right. World's oldest computer. Well, you just gave the game away straight away. I was going to build oh, up to it. Oh, sorry. Uh, Rex, what is the Antithicera? Uh, the Antithicera is the, the world's oldest computer, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Beats Bavage's computer by a few thousand years. Yeah. So uh, 2,000 years ago, there was a Roman trading ship uh, travelling from Rhodes uh, across to uh, going back to Rome. And uh, on its way, it, they believed it went to shelter on, in the island of Antithicera and uh, was actually wrecked there sunk, um, would have remained there unknown, uh, a group of uh, Greeks sponge divers in about 1900 went, they were actually sheltering from a, a storm, um, waited for the weather to clear and then sent the diver over the side and lo and behold down about 50, 55 metres or so they found a bunch of uh, bronze sculptures some of the best preserved bronze sculptures in the world, ancient ark uh, yeah ancient bronze sculptures, 2,000 years old, Wow! marble sculptures, and in between that, the diver picked up this odd mechanism, uh, which looked like a, a clock, and went off to the museum and then sort of studied here and there and this and that, and eventually um, they got pretty serious about it, and I think the first real serious study was in the, the mid-1950s where they had technology to x-ray, so they x-rayed it, and they found this this really complex mechanism which had at best best guess it was 27 separate cogs gears which drove um, a series of hands um, and it's estimated that it had up to maybe 50 different sides gears and cogs so a really complex gearbox um, set out and they believe it actually had a connection to Archimedes. I think he might have had uh, his hand in designing this mechanism for predicting eclipses uh, based on the 19 years uh, years cycle. And there's quite really, I'm saying really complex gears and um, like all a lot of prime numbers, uh, all that type of thing. Which wow. They use prime numbers these days for encrypting and codes and all that. And the only thing I know about prime numbers is it's divisible by itself and one. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's about as far as my prime numbers go. That's amazing. So, yeah. So astronomical in every sense. So they, it was Accurate used for... Predicting, yeah, because you know, if you can predict uh, eclipses and all that type, then you, you had power. You, yeah. were, you were someone special. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's just, you know, the ancient Greeks studied the the, the solar system and, <clears throat> oh, they believed the Earth was the centre, but uh, eventually they realised that it wasn't. And um, they could predict solar eclipses at the time of the day, um, all those types types of things. Fantastic. 
Thanks, Rex. That's all right. Absolutely fascinating. <laughs> We're going to put a link to our Facebook page on uh, Antithiketa, which is actually an island, but... We will. Yeah, we'll but do that. Yeah, but this, this particular mechanism's taken on that name too. I just had a, a, an epiphany. We're going to uh, drop some anno, sacrificial anodes on the um, Cerberus guns being preserved at the moment. So, Ooh. So we're... Catch up with you on that one next time. Okay. I have a personal connection to the Cerberus. Shall do. Talk to you about that in the green room. Right, yeah. We'll cover this one Over next coffee. time. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Thanks, Rex. Thanks. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.